It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA. Agent Ether. Agent Kruger. (laughs) (laughs) And Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to check us out on Discord and Facebook. Links in the description. This week's episode, Antarctica. Worst intro ever. I know, right? Should we just redo that? <laughs> ah, forget it. Let's just keep it. Actually, the, the ending right there lined up right with the music. Yeah. Well, I, I usually try to line it up with the music, but I it doesn't always work out because... I'm only willing to pause so much to leave that gap there to where I end like, cause I try to end and then have the drum beat come in like a little bit after I end just cause it sounds cool. But sometimes it just doesn't work out. But this time, <laughs> this time <laughs> ah, I kind of did. Whatevs. Yeah, whatevs. All right. This week's episode, Antarctica. This was requested by many people actually. Yeah. So we Several des- people. Yeah. Decided we're going to do a variety of topics just sort of around the idea of Antarctica. Um, I'm going to look at Operation High Jump a little bit myself. But before we get started, just a couple of items. One of our previous episodes was on uh, Britney Spears, and recently her conservator, conservator, recently her conservatorship has been totally dissolved by a judge. And in the meantime, uh, well, a little bit before that, her father was removed from the head of the conservatorship. And since that time, she was posting freely on social media because her account was no longer controlled. And she's pretty much confirmed everything that we suspected as far as you know, being in charge of her life and, you know, people exploiting her and all that stuff. And uh, anybody curious should definitely check out, I don't know, her Instagram or something. And bonus, she's been posting some really saucy photos. And I got to stay, she still looks oh, great. Boy. So that's, I mean, it's, well, I have to follow the case, right? I mean, I don't have a choice. And in the meantime, I, I mean, just, it's part of it. I just so happened to see some awesome pictures of Brittany in her underwear or whatever. You know, it's, it's great. <laughs> it's a yeah, really great case file. Whole deal. To, oh, uh, wait. To stay then, current, right? We're talking then? Talking what? Nothing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> then, not now, right? Is that what we're talking about? All right. Well, I'm moving along. I heard uh, one of the podcasts that I listen to is the Black Vault. Uh, is it the Black Vault Radio. I don't know. Whatever. John Greenwald Jr. has, he runs the Black Vault site, which uh, we've mentioned before on the show. And he had a short 15-minute episode. He, uh, he found a new previously unknown UFO encounter involving an FA-18 Hornet. It took him about two years and multiple FOIA requests to uncover the sighting. The level of effort that he puts in is just... I mean, that's why John is such a legend in this field. I mean, just for this one case, he, he took multiple requests in two years just to chase down this one event, and we all benefit from this. So if you're curious, it's on his website. He has an article about it, and he also has a podcast episode on it that's like pretty short, 15 minutes, right? We don't know much about the encounter other than there was a briefing for staff members of the Senate Armed Service Committee. The sighting happened off of the East Coast, but we we don't have the briefing itself. That's still classified. 
That's pretty much all we know about it. If you'd like to know about the process that Mr. Greenwald went through in order to get this information, then go ahead and check his stuff out. It's really interesting, everything he has to do. All right, and that's that's the couple of items that I wanted to start the episode out upon. Upon which? Upon? I'm going to talk about Operation High Jump, and then Agent Ether's got actually like a whole bunch of different stuff, and I'm not sure what you two guys got planned, but... Um, Mine was just a whole bunch of different facts and stuff like that, too, so... I was, I was going to talk about... I was going to talk about Earth crustal displacement. Okay, that, or I was going to bring up windmill. What happened after high top or high jump? But oh yeah, they're not really exciting. Or I mean, at least windmill is. I mean, but they did have serve their purposes. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, doing the but, windmill yeah. does serve its purpose. <laughs> <laughs> is that like the whirly bird, but like vertical instead of horizontal? Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, it's the same thing basically, just a different name. You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I would imagine the whirly bird is if like, you know, you, you, never mind. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's actually another one. There's actually another one called the wacky inflatable arm man. Oh, that one's easy. I do that all the time. Yeah. 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 Give me a couple all drinks. Right. I'll go down the stairs I'll, just like it. I'll stop down. right there. Cause I could, I could go on. I could go on about this, but it's probably not proper. Not professional. Yeah, well, how about I could like, your guys is going to be a little bit more in depth. Mine's more like. Did you know? And like a quick fact kind of thing. So, I mean, I, I, I could probably start with that or end that. It doesn't matter. Did you okay. know that Hitler built a military base down there? Or did, did you he? know who the first person was? Or did he? I first can't person? say his name. Roland like the first person ever? Amundsen, a Norwegian. And he hmm. beat the Brits by a week. Did you hear about oh. that one? Norwega. Okay, so why don't we start with Adrian Kruger uh, so. then with, with a couple of uh, little Those facts. Those are more than me starting. Sorry, I whatever, was just talking. I wasn't actually stating. <laughs> Go for it, Agent Kruger. All right, for sure. All right, fine, fine, fine. Um, This one, actually, this was, uh, we'll probably go in. I'll say it when, do you guys uh, find out anything about the Argentinian that was born? Where uh, a pregnant mother took her, it was she was basically shipped there to have birth to this child, so that the Argentinians would have more claim to the land. It oh. was in contested territory, and that, I, just found I did not that know that. That is so funny. <laughs> so, so she was pregnant, <laughs> and they waited until she was close to her due date, and just shipped her over there. Yeah. Okay. It was a ploy uh, to claim sovereignty over a part of the continent. So Argentina sent its pregnant mother there on purpose in 1977 so that she could give birth to a child on a section of contested territory. And then it ends with like a, it's like a well-played Argentina. Wait a minute. <laughs> and then I, saw, a, I saw an article yeah. with, with Admiral, article, I saw an interview with Admiral Byrd and they asked him, has uh-huh. any woman mm-hmm. seen Antarctica? And he said, no, and it's the most peaceful place on the planet. Oh. No, he said no woman has stepped foot there. I was like, that fella has this humor. I don't think that would play so well nowadays. <laughs> Definitely I, this not is, appropriate. This is, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. What, this what has year was changed this? over the years. Since 77? This was in oh, 77. Okay. This yeah. interview is probably a little bit before that, so... Oh, yeah, definitely. That with Bird was like World War II at the end of it. But yeah, Argentina was trying to get involved with Antarctica for some reason. So, um, there's also 
Um, this I found this is a bit of an oddball fact was that it, this has changed now depending on like especially for the teeth. So you have to get your if you plan on working up there at like a weather observatory or just like staying out there for long periods of time, it's actually recommended and and uh, even if they're healthy, it's not just recommended. It's almost mandatory to have your appendix removed. And because really? of the lack of surgeons out there and the people that can oh. actually do things for you, they can't pull your wisdom teeth. They have dentists out there, but they are not like top end dental, you know, students. So well, the the resources are probably pretty limited as far that's, as like, yeah, that's what yeah. I I tried to start out with, but I just kind of like threw that. Um, so yeah, I, I thought I would hate to have a sore tooth up in Antarctica. Oh, yeah. I can tell you what. Um, and then, uh, there's uh let's see here. There's only one ATM that sucks. <laughs> there's an ATM. Wait a minute, and then, there's uh, an ATM. Some, and you know that the sea creatures that live, yeah, there's only one ATM. And wait, I think wait, they, wait. why do they yeah. need an ATM? There's like one to 5,000 people there at any given time. And they're like for, all scientists. For the 7-Eleven. Yeah. There's a 7-Eleven everywhere. Are you, you buying alcohol? Know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Prostitutes. You never know. Hey, they're trying to buy into crypto now and they all need a debit card or some sort. So it's annoying. Oh, it all makes sense now. Um, there's also, did you know that uh, the, the land or, you know, the... All right. So, uh, yeah, quite a few sea creatures, which live in Antarctica, have natural antifreeze in their bodies to prevent them from freezing, obviously. And if only we could harness that power as humans, I would be free, free willy up in that water. That is for sure. Now, it gets pretty cold. a lot more around here. That it gets sure. pretty cold up there. That's for sure. Like, the oh, yeah, lowest only negative temperature. No, the, the lowest temperature <laughs> yeah. is a. Hundred and minus minus one hundred and thirty degrees Fahrenheit, and like wow. the average is minus fifty. Like I, you couldn't, what? you could heck? not pay me to go up there, and people do it for free, like in the name of science. Well, I would do this in the name of science or whatnot, but just as a visiting, so I wouldn't have to remove an appendix or anything like that. But um, glassologist, uh, glaciologist, I'm pretty sure I'm saying it, glaciologist. Yeah, that's that better. sounds Let's right. That. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds about right. Uh, they can actually serve you a glass of water that was from ancient Egypt times, or at least the era, because of so much layer of water, it's just compacted onto each other. They can actually drill out ice that's you know predates human existence, and we can get a cup of water through that. Would you drink mm. that water I don't though? Know how delicious it would oh. be. I don't know either. Yes. No, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I would, but I, I can guarantee you, I bet top 1% elites would probably spend. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how much that water does cost for a glass that of That would cost uh, a shitload. I, th- I think there's a market for it, though. If you were to bottle up one single giant, like, little fancy bottle of Arctic glacier water, it'd be like Bobby Boucher. The Bobby one. Boucher, dude. Yeah, I was just—that's crazy. I was just thinking about that. I was going to make a comment. Was like, I am a big fan of the Water Boy, the movie. So, like, I, I do value high quality H two O. You know, water sucks. That's a it really, yeah, really and, sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. And there's also, do you? 
Uh, I have more, but I'm just now that I look over it, it's like I don't know if it would be super interesting. There are about 400 lakes hidden underneath the shelves themselves, the ice shelves. So if you were to like just take away all the ice and just you know remove everything, there was actual palm trees and just you know it was a luscious green area before it was the icy tundra that we know now. But yeah, 400 lakes hidden underneath that shelf. I thought that was interesting. Um. Yeah, and it's kind of every- crazy about like uh, th- there's some areas in Antarctica where you can find flash frozen like plants, like like small ferns and stuff. Is some oh, of the stuff I've seen pictures every- of. The time is literally frozen in those giant ice sheets. I mean, before yeah. a lot of people understand, like there, our world was a giant ice cube at one point, and glass station oh, was well. taking over the United States. I mean, it was everywhere. I mean, it was sheets of ice that literally, when they thawed out and when everything was readjusting on Earth and, you know, settling, if you will, that mm-hmm. they f- scraped across the land like a giant bulldozer. And oh, yeah. you, you can go to Kansas of all places and areas like Texas and like places that are just flat, like mid, mid America, you know what I mean? Like Midwest area. Um, you can see a lot of flat lands, like there's no mountains. It's because they're all basically bulldozed down and compressed by sheets of ice and other things that were fun. Um, yeah. There's a, do you know every year athletes compete in a hundred kilometer uh, Antarctic ice marathon? Because why not? Oh, shit. That sounds awful. <laughs> how, wait, how long is a, it's a, a hundred Once every year. I don't know the exact day, but it's a hundred kilometer. No shit. Yeah. Hell no. I can't even Hell, do one yeah. K. <laughs> yeah. My first thought was fuck that. <laughs> That's <laughs> approximately 50 miles, give or take, right? Um, about, yeah. Give or take is about half. Somewhere in the oh, ballpark. I'm an idiot when it comes to math. So yeah, I forget the conversion rate between. Yeah, metric I don't know. And, I, yeah, I know. I know kilometers is far less than a mile, right? Oh, I'm terrible with that. I'm an American. I don't understand things like that. Yeah, don't ask me about the metric system, dude. <laughs> no, it's um, fake news. Do you you guys want to know what <laughs> uh, one of the biggest dangers that uh, international researchers find on why they stay up there? The penguins. sharks. Any guesses? It's the penguins. Sharks. Land sharks. sharks. The penguins, close. Um, I don't know. Frostbite? Frostbite. That, that would be reasonable, right? But no, it's actually fire. Due to the extreme like dry condition, you would be surprised oh. how hard it is to contain a fire in that climate. Hmm. Um, so, okay. not, so there's been a lot of fires that get out of control. Like, you know, when they're cooking and stuff like that or whatever the hell it is, you'd be surprised. Um, due to the excessively dry conditions, fires are easy to ignite and difficult to contain. Huh. I, I, I think it's windy oh. up there too. So that makes sense. This is pretty badass. Um, do you have a guess at what band, the first band to ever have a concert in Antarctica? The What's Rolling that? Stones. I don't know. You don't know this? Oh, you don't know. I'm actually surprised you guys don't know, but Metallica. Oh, um, okay. December 8th, 2013. They were the first band to do it. What That's they named cool. the concert? Freeze them all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. These are great. But yeah, facts. I got a lot here. So These I can are keep great going, little but... tidbits. No, you sound bored. I'm done. Fine. Talk about your hollowers. No, I have a I have <laughs> a tidbit, actually. Um, oh, 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 actually, oh, sorry. I wanted to throw this out of here. Oh, jeez. I'm going to forget this. So sorry. I'm so sorry, Ether. I have to say this or I'm going to forget this because <laughs> that's just who I am. But going back to the appendix, there was a Russian doctor 
who successfully removed his own appendix. Um, I'm not, I can't say, I can't say this damn what? station name. Yeah. His name is, <laughs> or, oh, the station even is like 20 characters long. Like what the fuck? So it's like Novolazhensky station yeah. in Antarctica. We'll call him Ski. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there was two, there was two doctors or no two doctors. There was one doctor and only two, uh, like hit like just two people basically that held one held a mirror and one like made sure everything was contained as far as blood and padding and getting all wow. the sutures right and stuff. But he did everything himself. If you've ever seen Dude. the movie like Master and Commander, uh, with Russell Crowe and the cast of other characters, there's that moment where the remember when the doctor gets shot and he has a piece of clothes. I remember like cloth that. in his body still. So he has to, Yes. Yeah. So okay. he has some guy yeah. hold a mirror and the other one pat. Yeah. So like that, literally that scene, but an angry t- or probably calm Russian man who's <laughs> drunk off vodka. <laughs> um, and then he, let's see here. So, okay. So uh, the last thing I'll say is that there's some parts I'll go and like, so just kind of jumping all over the place. Uh, Oh, this is kind of a given, but do you know that there's no lizards or reptilians in Antarctica? So, um, actually, well, except what except dragons? for the subterraneans. I think there's dragons there. No. <laughs> well, but if they were, it wouldn't, wouldn't they be frozen and not? Oh wait, okay, we're gonna have to tap into that one. If we're talking about going over the wall to go, you know, kill some White Walkers, then yeah, there's some dragons out there probably. But <laughs> Game of Thrones, uh, right there for you. Um, but you know, there's some parts in the continent that are so dry that there hasn't even been rain or snow for over two million years, hmm. and that's where that's a dry spell. Okay, call that a dry spell. Wow, wow, wow! Booyah! I wow. thought we had a drought. And this has been Kruger's quick <laughs> second. Hey, this is Kruger's corner. <laughs> Kruger's corner. You know what really grinds my gears? Pencils. Who needs them? Okay, I have. I just have one. Little tidbit, uh, you too can charter a private jet to go to Antarctica and have like a little adventure. There's this company calling themselves Red Savannah, and you're going to go for nine days. Uh, That includes your arrival and departure. So day one is your arrival. You arrive in South Africa. Day two, you fly to Antarctica. Uh, Three is you explore the camp. Four, you fly to see the emperor penguin colony. Then you have a day of leisure. You fly to the actual South Pole. Then you return to camp and have another leisure day. And then you depart Antarctica. So I want you guys to guess how much this fantastical trip costs per person. Oh, that that sounds expensive. $1,800. Is it like an all-inclusive, like every, like you pay like one price for like a package? All or accommodations like to... are included, including food and alcohol. Polar clothing is extra. Hot damn. Does it come with gin fizzies? Uh, sure, it comes with gin fizzies. <laughs> Do I get to guess, take a penguin um, home? $30,000. I'm going to guess $50,000. No way, what? $100,000. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> hey, you know what though? If I was rich, I would do that. That sounds awesome. I mean, if I had the money to waste or spend, no, it wouldn't be a waste. You know, no, if yeah. I had the money to spend on it, then why not? I guess. Wait, how long know? was this day? I'm sorry. What, well, what they say nine it. days, but it's not really because your first day you're, you're flying from South Africa and then the last day you're departing, which probably happens, you know, in the, in the morning, not 
at the end of the day. So like in 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 Antarctica is probably more like seven days. Yeah. Is like if week. I can spend the night in an underwater like hotel. No, cool. see, you got to camp in these little removable pods powered by renewable energy. So it's just, it's a lot like oh, camping. Okay. Oh, that's the worst kind of energy. <laughs> <laughs> what happens if nothing renewable happens? I think too they they <laughs> want to make sure it's pristine. So it was talking a lot about like the sterile environment and removing everything when they left and being all green and that sort of thing. That would be awesome to be the guy that drops them off. Well, you're here. All right. Bye. See ya. <laughs> just leave him in the open. I'm not <laughs> oh, that'd be great, though. I mean, you already paid. So, how many people get the opportunity to drink a gin fizzy on the South Pole, dude? I mean, seriously, I would definitely right? do that. Bragging rights to all your rich friends. Yeah. All right. All right. Go, Agent Anderson. All right. Let's get to Operation High Jump. So, before I jump into this topic, I'm going to post a couple of pictures here in Discord. Using so I set up this alt account um, that uh, just just for testing the server when I first made it, you know. But I'm gonna use that to post um, post a couple of pictures from Operation High Jump. So let's see, let's post one here. There it goes. You guys see that? So in this picture, you can see. I'm not sure what that red circle is, but you can see that there's like this strange pillar of light in the middle of the photo. What are we looking at? We're looking at a picture from Operation High Jump. Okay. So there's there's a ton of pictures available online, and people have combed through them looking for unusual things. And this is one of the unusual things that somebody found. What is it? I don't know, but it's pretty dang weird looking. If you zoom into that thing, it's, huh. you know, what is it? Wait, I don't what know. did Picklebelly post up in live show chat? That's my, that's my alt, that? alt account. I made that to test out. Oh. I made that to test out the Discord server to make sure everything was functioning properly. So, um, and then I never used it again. I for, I forgot I had it signed in on my second account or my second computer that I use for notes and stuff. So, all right. So this one, this is a close up of that light feature, and that don't look normal. I mean, maybe it's just you know an error in the picture or development process but it definitely looks weird it does not look normal for sure and now i'm going to post a picture that's uh this is the area this is the same spot from they're doing this is from like an aerial survey they took a lot of these pictures from an airplane that's the same spot but it doesn't no longer has the light pillar so what that means i don't know all right now here's another one all right, now this one, there's something streaking across the sky that looks kind of weird. I said, yeah, that's what they were circling in the first photo. Yeah, right? I think, yeah, I think that's what they were circling. Here's the same thing zoomed up. I mean, maybe it's an airplane or something because they're, you know, they were doing aerial surveys, so it could just be another airplane in the distance. I don't know. It's kind of strange looking though. All right, now here's another one. This one's fun. This has what appears to be, uh, I don't, I don't know what like on the horizon or in the distance, like some kind of, it's been described as like an obelisk, obelisk, but you kind of have to zoom in on this one or open it up. But you can see like on the horizon there, it's circled that there's what appears to be a strange object. And it could just be like a, I don't know, some kind of aberration or something, but it definitely looks weird. Yeah. Yeah. It does look weird. Doesn't look natural. Yeah. Huh. All right. And this next one is that interesting. Because somebody involved with the project 
circled something on the photo and they referenced, they s- says, uh, they wrote on the photo, they said, see photo one, two, two, uh, looks like P slash O M 26 roll 68 run two. But that photo you is not actually in the archive. So they're referencing a photo that doesn't exist for the public. It was removed for some reason. Yeah, maybe it was lost to time. Maybe there's like a typo, but it's still kind of interesting because it makes it seem like they're covering something up. What is it? What is that in that photo? I don't know. If you zoom in, it doesn't look like a whole lot. It's, you know, it looks like, doesn't look like much at all, but it could be anything. It could just be like a geographical feature that they said, oh, look, here's a new mountain or something. But if that's the case, why would the photo be missing? I don't know. Kind of weird. And then it's definitely weird. The last one is sort of, let's see, this one is sort of like a pyramid looking thing. And there's, that's a whole other topic that I didn't uh, get, get to for this one was there's, you know, supposed pyramids in Antarctica, but that this, there's a ton of photos available. And these are just some that I saw somebody else had pointed out, but I thought it was interesting anyways to, to, uh, to kind of post these so people could look at them. Are they all in one location? No, they're they're taken from different places and stuff. <laughs> no, I meant was your source one one website. Yes. Okay, you can send me the link then. Later. Okay. But yeah, so those pictures are in well, I actually just closed them all out, so I have to <laughs> I have to find it again. <laughs> well, you can find you can find these pyramids kind of scattered throughout the Arctic, and scientists say they're actually natural structures. They're nunataks, which are mountains so tall that they rise above the permafrost covering the Antarctica, and they're like 4,000 feet high, and they're just sticking out of the top, and because of the way uh, it erodes, there's like a horn, they call them horns, because of how the water um, and the ice moves and it runs down the sides, so they say they're natural formations, but you know they look like pyramids. They really do, sticking out of the sticking out of the ice there. That's what they want you to believe. Yeah, but I'm like, really? That is one big mountain. Like that's really big. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that is sizable. All right, so on to Operation High Jump. The official title was the United States Navy Antarctic Developments Program. Rolls right off the tongue. This was led by Admiral Richard E. Byrd, which I, I love that name. You know, it's Dickie Bird. It's kind of fun. He was really famous in his day for doing various expeditions to the North and South Poles. He was famous kind of like Lindbergh was famous. You know, Charles Lindbergh, who was the aviation dude. Kind of like that. But Wasn't he like the youngest admiral at that time ever appointed to that position? Maybe. I'm not sure about that. But I also heard somewhere else on a different podcast that he wasn't a real admiral. I mean, he was an officer at some point, but it was more of like an honorary title. But I don't know if that's true or not. I just heard that. But I mean, if that's the case, then that might very well be true. He didn't seem like he was that old in 1947, but uh, or 1946 even when this happened. But anyways, the operation ran from August 1946 to February 1947. And for anybody who's not familiar with their dates from that time, this is after World War II had already ended. The idea was that they wanted to go and survey in uh, Antarctica, and they ended up surveying an area equal to half of the continental United States, finding various things like new mountain ranges. 
The operation itself involved 4,700 men, 13 ships, and 33 aircrafts. The objectives of the operation was 1. Training personnel and testing equipment in frigid conditions. 2. Consolidating and extending the United States' sovereignty over the largest par- uh, practical area of the Antarctic continent. Publicly denied as a goal even before the expedition ended. 3. Determining the feasibility of establishing, maintaining, and utilizing bases in the Antarctic and investigating possible base sites. 4. Developing techniques for establishing, maintaining, and utilizing air bases on ice, with particular attention to later applicability of such techniques to operations in interior Greenland, where conditions are comparable to those in the Antarctica. 5. Amplifying existing stores of knowledge of electromagnetic, geological, geographic, hydrographic, and meteorological propagation conditions in the area. And 6. Supplementary objectives of the Nanook expedition, which was a smaller equivalent conducted off of eastern Greenland. Now, the thing about this is, is like I said earlier, this was a very large expedition. So right away, you're like, okay, they could have done all that with just like two boats and an airplane. Why did they need 33 airplanes, 4,700 men? That's warships. Yeah, warships and stuff. But anyways, they set off and they reached the uh, the island of Peter the First or Peter One Island. That's off of Antarctica in December of 1946. Uh, and December 30th, there was an event where a plane crash killed Ensign Maxwell A. Lopez, Wendell K. Henderson, and Frederick W. Williams, and six other crewmen were stranded and rescued 13 days later. Now, this event is kind of interesting. Because supposedly, I couldn't find the original report of this, but secondary sources or probably, you know, more suggests or said that the plane experienced equipment malfunction and a flash of light. So at the same time, maybe it was just a coincidence, but, you know, the the enthusiast in me wants to say, oh, that was definitely a UFO. They saw a flash of light and their equipment malfunctioned and they crashed. You know, what else could it be? (laughs) But that report was, unfortunately, I couldn't verify that. It's still interesting to mention it, though. On January 15th, 1947, the expedition reached the Bay of Wales, and then they began building a base called Little America 4, which was the fourth American base on Antarctica. There have been a couple, there have been obviously one, two, and three before them by different people, which I won't go into those because that's a little bit far afield of what we're talking about. The mission was canceled in late February 1947 because of bad weather conditions. It was followed later in 47 to 4, 1947 to 48 by Operation Windmill, Windmill, which was already mentioned by Agent Kruger earlier. And that, in a nutshell, is the official narrative. You can actually find documents about this. There's like a 500-page report you can look up on um, the Black Vault. It's available there. And there's a lot of information about what they were actually doing. But we don't care about all that stuff. We don't care about the scientific surveys and, you know, what kind of snowball fights the soldiers were having while while they were there. We're interested in the weird stuff. So let's get into it. As I mentioned, Admiral Byrd was in charge of the operation. 
After the, after the fact, he did an interview about it with Lee Van Atta uh, when he was aboard the USS Mount Olympus. It appeared in a Chilean newspaper, you know, like Chile, Chilean. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, which right away, I'm kind of, it's kind of weird. Like, okay, so you have an American being interviewed about an American operation and the interview appears in a Chilean newspaper. Okay, but whatever. In the interview, he said that the USA should adopt measures of protection against the possibility of an invasion of the country by hostile planes coming from the polar regions. And I was like, okay, who's piloting these planes from the polar regions? Like, nobody lives there, you know, penguins. At the time, there was like nobody there. Right now, there's a couple of researchers, but who's piloting these planes? Where are they coming from? This would be a ridiculous place to launch an attack from in 1947. I mean, we didn't really have jet technology or anything back then. It was just piston-driven airplanes. Like, the, you know, what makes your car run? That's what they were using for airplanes back then. And those were very short range. They had some bombers that were like sort of medium-ish range that they, you know, they used in the war and stuff. But the idea of launching anything, any airplane from the North or South Pole and attacking the United States is just silly. It's just completely silly. Like, I don't know why he was taught. Why was he saying this? You know, it's. I don't know. The, the Germans did have uh, jet planes that they used uh, very limitedly at, that, uh, at the end of the war, uh, from what I understand. Yeah. They, so well, they like had that, uh, that old, that old had, theory that, uh, that, you know, Hitler built a base down in Antarctica. If that's the case. And well, if, if jet planes are coming from anybody at that point that we know of, at least, like for sure, then Germans would be the answer, I suppose. Yeah, and the Germans had like rocket powered jet, like rocket powered planes and stuff, but they were very hard to control. Yeah. Very hard to land. Yeah. And they, they were not very, they, I mean, they basically they were, were not really usable. Fuck. If, yeah, they were really fast, but they were so fast that it was hard to <laughs> shoot the enemy out of them. You know, it was, yeah. uh, they were pretty much useless as a weapon because if they had been useful as a weapon, they would have had air superiority. Like by far, we wouldn't have stood a chance against them. So, Luckily, they were more or less useless, but that's uh, that's another topic. We'll talk about the Germans in a moment. Hey, hey um, hold on. I just want to, you know what, who really had the secret weapon? Who's that? Was the Norwegian army because they had their own emperor penguin. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> a penguin Miles bomb? Olaf. Egads. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would be scared. All those like fuckers like sliding on the, the ice coming at you. Oh, you're in their world. Yeah, it's a, it's like being in the water with a shark, right? Yeah, no, I love penguins. And you guys see the March of the Penguins. <laughs> they're vicious. Okay. Have, well, have <laughs> you seen Happy Feet? They're cute little eggs. I don't trust yeah. them. Have you seen Mr. Popper's penguins? <laughs> so this article is often quoted as evidence of something else. Because since people would not, humans, would not ever be able to launch an attack in 1947 or 48 or whatever from Antarctica to anywhere else. It's just silly. This is evidence that, well, he must be talking about somebody else then. Dun, 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 right? And, of course, somebody else probably means, like, extraterrestrial or something like that. But uh, there's no, like, he didn't say that specifically, but it just kind of people like to speculate on it because it, it is a strange thing. What he said is a very strange thing. Now, he's, he's often quoted as saying, or either quoted or people will say that he said 
that there were craft that could fly very quickly from pole to pole at incredible speeds. I was not able to find that quote. If you look at the quote from the Chilean newspaper called El Mercurio, he didn't say that. Um, he might have said that somewhere else, but I couldn't find it. It's from his secret diaries yeah. of Admiral Byrd, published yeah. by his nephew. That's that's the only source I could find for it. Right. I, I was going to mention that later, but uh, I hadn't gotten that far yet. But I'll mention it now since you brought it up. So the secret diary is supposedly a long lost secret diary, but it, it talks about things like the hollow earth and things like that. I'm skeptical that this was actually written by the old Admiral. You know, it, it seems to me to be a little suspicious, but eh, maybe. Well, the thing is too, is if he's writing in his diary about the hollow earth, I couldn't find anywhere else outside of that document of him talking about the hollow earth or anything like that. It's just in that diary. You know, there's no interviews and you can see interviews of this guy on YouTube, like with, you know, TV interviews and stuff. There's, you know, nothing I could, there's no mention of any of this stuff anywhere except in the diary, which I mean, maybe it, maybe it's real, but I kind of take it with a grain of salt. It's fun to say, what if this is a real document, but I'm, I'm skeptical that it is, I guess. But the, the real quote is uh, from the article, Admiral Richard E. Byrd warned today that the United States should adopt measures of protection against the possibility of an invasion of the country by hostile planes coming from the polar regions. The Admiral explained that he was not trying to scare anyone, but the cruel reality is that in a case of a new war, the United States could be attacked by planes flying over one or both poles. Now, to me, what this sounds like is that he's trying to lobby for more funding to get another expedition going. You're monger. Yeah, because these expeditions are not cheap. So he was kind of trying to egg on the government and the military to say, hey, guys, somebody else could set up a base here and attack us. You know, so we might want to do that ourselves. And I'll be more than happy to help you guys do it, you know, kind of a thing. But um, the wording of it does not. I mean, he says airplanes. What is that, is that buddy? Ah, that little butt. <laughs> I, one, of the, one of the things that kind of gets me is like, this guy was, from what I understand, a very well-respected, accomplished individual at the time. And why would he risk his reputation and or, you know, you know, stuff in his career or whatever uh, to make a, such a wild, a wild claim like this? Right. You know, because yeah. I mean, I would imagine, and I'm, I'm not smart, but like, you know, I, you could claim other things to try to get more funding for like, you know, whatever you want. You know, I, this is a wild, a wild claim, you know? I think ETA had mentioned uh, accolades and stuff. And yeah, if you want to look up on Wikipedia, just the the huge amount of accolades that this guy has, it's fairly ridiculous, actually. For example, just one of the silly things, he was one of the few people in American history who actually got to wear a medal with a picture of himself on it. Not once, but twice. <laughs> Ooh, Be because that's a flex. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's just ridiculous. There's, I think, like three other people who got to do that once, but he's the only one that did it twice. This guy is just complete. He's legendary. You look up his list of accolades. It just goes on and on and on and on. We could do a full one-hour episode just on his honors and awards. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. But uh, anyways, where was I? 
Yeah, so we don't have, I wasn't able to find like a whole lot of actual evidence, but I found a whole lot of theories. So one theory is that they were looking for a secret Nazi base or UFOs or Nazi UFOs. And the reason people think this is because there's a couple of reasons. But for example, there were a significant number of Nazi troops and submarines that were unaccounted for. So the conclusion is that maybe they hid in Antarctica. I don't know. I mean, it seems kind of flimsy to me, but I mean, there, I didn't look into the Nazi angle too much. I'm sure the other agents can touch on that a little bit, but that is, there, there does seem to be some evidence that the Nazis were interested in Antarctica. They had gone there and it's actually not outside the realm of possibility that they would have had a secret base there. And if there was a secret Nazi base, that would explain why they would bring like a military fleet capable of military action instead of a scientific fleet. So that's, that's one idea. And a lot of people think that there was a battle and they fought with UFOs or Nazis or Nazi UFOs or something. But again, this one, I was not able to find any sort of like actual evidence, which, which would be maybe documents or maybe somebody who was in the battles or something after the fact talking about it, you know, or anything like there's, there's no evidence whatsoever, but they base this on, uh, some people think that one or two of the ships went missing. But if you look up like these ships, it does appear that they went missing. But on the other hand, it's, there does seem to be some evidence that the ships were sold for scrap at some point. And after the war, they had a whole bunch of wartime stuff that they didn't need anymore. So they would decommission ships and then they would sell them to somebody in industry who would use the metal to, you know, make whatever cars or razor blades or whatever they wanted. So it's not out of the question that um, the, the ship was actually scrapped and just records were not kept that good. But I know it's hard to, it's hard to imagine losing records of like an entire ship. These are really big ships. But uh, I, I couldn't find like real solid evidence that there was ships missing and that there was some kind of cover up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I talked about the diary of Admiral Byrd. Okay, so another one that's often brought up is James Forrestal. He was the Secretary of the Navy of the Navy and later the Department of Defense. And a lot of people sort of tie him into Operation High Jump. I'm not exactly sure how, but he was an interesting fella. And towards the end of his political career, he was forced to retire by President Truman, who he was often at odds with, uh, with whom he was, uh, uh, whatever. <laughs> Damn it, you are the, an agent of the, okay. Um, the, the Forrestal's mental health went downhill quickly at the, at the end of his, after he retired or after he was forced to retire. And he was admitted to Bethesda Na- Naval Hospital. He fell from the 16th floor and what? died on impact from the Naval Hospital. Yeah. The death wow. was highly suspicious. I'm kidding. I know. He was found with a bathrobe sash around his neck, like tied around his neck. But the official report didn't mention this at all. And the report did not speculate as to why he fell off of the 16th floor. Like, was it suicide? Was he pushed or whatever? It was just like a report on his injuries and stuff. The death was very suspicious, but there's, it's not exactly clear who would have wanted to kill him 
and how this would tie into Operation High Jump. Um, he did appoint Admiral Byrd to being to something or other. I forget what pos- what position, but uh, he doesn't seem directly connected at all to Operation High Jump. So I'm not sure how it would tie in. Other than if he was the Secretary of Navy at the time, that's pretty much the highest position. Which I'm embarrassed to say, I forgot to look up exactly when he was when he retired. So there may not even be an overlap with the operation, but I believe he was in charge at the time. But it's still, I mean, the only thing I could see was that he was he opposed the creation of Israel. So maybe he made some enemies there. But I mean, I guess in that position, uh, such a high position of power, you're gonna make a lot of enemies. So it could be could be anybody really who wanted to off him. And maybe right. it was suicide. Maybe he tried to hang himself and then, you know, figured out he couldn't do that with a bathrobe sash. And then with it still tied around his neck, he jumped out of the d- window or whatever it was. I was going to say door, but I don't think they have doors on the outside You're of the thinking building. Winchester Mansion. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's <laughs> what an not, awesome place. That's not outside of the realm of possibility, in my opinion. But at the very least, it was a suspicious death. Pretty much in a nutshell, that's all I have about Operation High Jump. I mean, there's a lot of rabbit, hole, rabbit holes you could go down surrounding High Jump, but I couldn't find anything substantial behind any of the theories. It's all just kind of fun to speculate about, but there's really nothing I could find to support any of it. It's just, you know, it's either made up or speculation, unfortunately. But My yes. Immense so, disappointment. Uh, so who was the jumper? Who is high jumping? <laughs> I know, right? Lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, they they did take some airplanes and they surveyed a very large port of Ana- part of Antarctica. We know that for sure. But the other stuff with like UFOs and all that stuff, who knows? All right. So who's next? Agent Ether, what do you got for us? I have some hollow earth theories. Well, all right. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, Mashuka lives five minutes away from Man- Winchester Mansion, by the way. Oh, sweet. Oh, awesome. sweet I've been there before. It's a pretty cool place. Oh, I have yeah, not. It is. All right, Agent Ether, On what do you hollow have? Earth. Well, I was going to talk a little bit about the earth sciences, but... You know, even I got bored researching it, so I'm very reluctant to discuss it on air. So I'll just say that I wasn't quite aware of this, but all the information that we know about the different layers of the Earth comes from seismic data, uh, math and physics, predictions, and then the seismic waves. I guess they study the paths and speeds they take to decipher the boundaries and the materials of the different layers of the Earth. So... That's how we know the different depths and the materials and that sort of thing. And that's how we discovered that there's giant bodies of water with three times the volume of the oceans, 400 miles inside My the goodness. earth. That's Dang. crazy. I've heard that before. I mean, yeah, I that's don't a even recent know how to, discovery. How to like wrap my, yeah, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. You know, like, that's incredible. Well, that's they're, absolutely always, incredible. they're always discovering new things about what's beneath our feet. You know, we actually don't know that much about what's inside the earth, right? We have no way of getting there. Um, The deepest we've drilled is, is what, eight miles and it's 4,000 to the core. And that was only like a, like a, that hole was only like a couple inches in diameter, right? Like Yeah, it was nine inches or or 23 centimeters in diameter. Okay. 
So you picture like this yeah, well yeah. to hell and like falling down it forever, but uh, it's very tiny. So I guess you could drop bugs well, or rocks down it or something. You know are, why they wanted were, to do that? They they were scared they would have knocked something loose, and you know, it it's the plates that we sit on. I remember hearing an interview uh, of like one of the uh, the like geologists that worked uh, on that hole. It uh, it was a Russian drill site, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was in Russia. Yeah. Yeah, and, and um, I remember uh, hearing, uh, uh, watching an interview, I believe it was on YouTube or something like that, one of those type of platforms, and um, they actually said that, like, uh, they would put, like, you know, they would ha- attach, like, a listening, listening devices onto, like, the, uh, the drill shaft, um, and, like, they would, like, uh, you know, try to, like, like, record the sounds that they would, they would hear through vibrations, I suppose, and, and uh they actually described hearing some rather eerie noises coming from You can from, hear them. You can like go on some YouTube. Of the lower uh, sections. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and yeah. hear them. So it's an ultrasound sensor and it measures sound waves and then they converted it to audio. Yeah, yeah. I haven't heard I don't, these I don't know. I, I heard, I, heard uh, I heard a little bit of it and some of it yeah, it sounded pretty eerie. I mean, yeah. some people claim to hear, like it's like like people like, you know, like like writhing in hell, you know, like screaming <laughs> out from, you know, hell or whatever. Oh, you know, creepy. like but I don't know about that, but yeah, but it is kind of the, the the noises are a little bit creepy, you know. I mean, I don't know. It's 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 interesting at the least. Yeah, so this presents us with, you know, a picture, but is it the whole picture? That's the question. So in ancient cultures, they believe that worlds existed within the earth. It appears a lot in mythology, like the Greek underworld, the idea of an afterlife, a hell. Mm-hmm. In Buddhism, you have the ancient city of Shambhala or uh, what is it? Shangri-La? Is that what I'm thinking of? Shangri-La. Yeah. Um, I'm not too Shangri-La. familiar with, with the Buddhist I, tradition, unfortunately. And a lot of tribes, yeah, me, like some tribes either. in India, claim their ancestors came from subterranean land. And just like you have this myth of the flood that's kind of universal around the globe, mm-hmm. you have a lot of cultures saying that their ancestors came from inside the earth, that they emerged from caves, and some believe that some of their ancestors are still there. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, The idea of hollow earth, though, became popularized uh, between the 16th and 18th centuries, both in fiction and nonfiction. And you had scientists and mathematicians like uh, Edmond Haley, who proposed that the earth was made of concentric circles moving independently of one another. And his theories came about because he was trying to explain why true north and magnetic north were different so that's not quite hollow Earth. It just is a different idea about the composition of the Earth. But uh, Leonard Euler would propose a single-shell hollow Earth with a small sun to provide heat and light. He believed that the entrances existed in the North and South Poles, and that perhaps inside there were ancient and advanced civilizations. So you move forward in time, and in 1818... You have John Cleves Symes Jr., who proposed that the Earth consisted of a hollow shell, uh, 810 miles thick, with openings at the poles. Now, he was an officer and a trader, so he had no scientific background. But this idea would really take off, and part of the reason is he really advocated for it. He went around to the media, and he gave interviews, and he had publications. He was very serious about spreading this idea, and I have a a quote from him that he published, I declare the earth is hollow and habitable within. I pledge my life in support of this truth and I'm ready to explore the hollow 
if the world will support and aid me in this undertaking. He also thought all the planets and the moon were hollow as well. Hmm. All right. So then moving forward in time, we have Admiral Byrd. And Agent Anderson mentioned, uh, was it High Jump? Project High Jump. But it wasn't the first time that Byrd had explored the poles. In 1926, he would go to the North Pole. And this is really interesting. If you go on YouTube, there's actually a short newsreel or clip that they played in the theaters. And there's no sound or anything. But it's actual movie uh, movie clips from him and his team up in the North Pole. And then three years later, he would go to the South Pole and same kind of thing. There was a little newsreel that you can find on YouTube and uh, it's him and his, his team and you can see his plane taking off into the distance. And interestingly enough, there were a lot of conspiracy theories at the time that he didn't actually go to the South Pole. Hmm. Liar. Really? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of controversy around it, you know, with some people um saying that he never went, that it was all just, you know, made up. Those are bold claims. <laughs> yeah. Um so in ninety-six they released a bird's diary and it was from the nineteen twenty-six flight and he, it looks like he erased the diary, like it's only partial, partially observable, but uh, they concluded from the diary that, that he was telling the truth, that he, he wrote down the coordinates and he had like accurate magnetic readings and that he had actually flown over, over the poles. So at first they said there was conflicting data, but then this actual diary came out. And this is different than the diary we were talking about earlier. This was like an actual written account so i just thought that was kind of kind of interesting so uh let's see moving on here all right so so there's this idea that the the earth is hollow and you can get to it from the poles but specifically from antarctica and i just thought that was a really you know fascinating idea and it's not unreasonable in that there's caves, you know, beneath the surface that are like hidden worlds. Like in Vietnam, there's Sundong, and it's one of the world's largest natural caves. And they use like drones, and people go, was it spelunking down there? And spelunking? Uh, no thanks. <laughs> I yeah, saw this on uh, Good Morning America. They kind of they followed the the uh, group along with drones. And they saw these subterranean rivers and these prehistoric boulders, and they're like 400 feet below, and then they're a thousand feet below. Can you imagine being a thousand feet down inside a cave? And then they come out into this entryway, and the sunlight's pouring out from above, and there's this whole jungle, just like lush green and a lake. There's plant life and animals. There's even monkeys. Like hmm. a thousand feet oh, underneath the, the earth. Wow. I don't know. The pressure getting there, man, that'd be a <laughs> hell of a trip. The cave <laughs> is 1.3 billion cubic feet and mostly unexplored. Wow. Holy crap. I know. It's crazy, they right? monkeys down there? Monkeys. What do they eat? The food from the trees, I'm assuming. There's trees down there? There's a whole jungle. 
That's crazy. In the cave, a whole jungle. How does it get sunlight? Yeah, right. They went into the opening and from a thousand feet above, there was like a cave in or whatever. And there's sunlight coming in. Uh-huh. There's like a skylight, like a natural skylight. And the sunlight oh, comes weird. in through like this hole. It's not huge, but it's enough sunlight to where it supports the, the ecosystem down there. Wow, that's crazy. And astronauts actually uh, train. They train down there. And they describe going through the underworld as very alien. They say it feels like exploring another planet. Hmm. So I just thought that was interesting and kind of tied into there. And who knows what we would find in a hollow Earth. So some people think there are giants. Others think there are aliens, Nazis, uh, reptilians, and maybe prehistoric lands. Because you can't talk about hollow Earth without thinking about Jules Verne's journey to the center of the earth, which I read Mm -hmm. when I was quite young and found it inspiring. You know, it's just a really fun, fun story. Whether it be below, it definitely was above. And with over 400 lakes that are underneath that ice shell, like you never know what, where, where it could go. You know, it's, I would I would love to see Antarctica with no ice. Not not in our present day because that would be horrible. Right? <laughs> I was going to say that's happening. I mean, you know so, what I mean, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I, hear you. I, I was going to say you, won't you be must be to see you it. must be heavily invested in the oil companies. <laughs> yeah, I go out there with my blow dryer yeah. once every month, and you know, <laughs> I I tack the glacier. One of the cool things about those lakes that you mentioned is some of them have been sealed off for a very long time, thousands or hundreds of thousands Millions of years. Of years. I'm not sure about the exact timeline there, but who knows what's in there? Probably like some sort of crazy virus or, you know, maybe some exotic animals or who knows? Could be what, anything. Wasn't well, there I an mean, X-Files episode? Am I thinking yeah. correctly? There's like an X-Files where they're yeah. drilling down or something and there's this virus. Yeah, and they get it's like glass a parasite. Yeah, that's what they do. Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. I mean, like I mentioned earlier is that they could thaw you out a cup of water that's hundreds and thousands of years old so like before even mankind was walking around doing their thing you could have some some water that's how i was like they could you know if you could bottle that you know the top one percent the elite will be sipping on that (laughs) i'm drinking fine Uh, i I don't know i wouldn't be opposed to trying it but it probably tastes exactly like you know regular water Yeah, so, this guy tastes like water. Yeah, but they. So how they do you do know for sure that and, that's what you're getting? You know. Well, the thing with the ice is that it obviously it captures everything within the air, and we're able to take sediments from the earth and carbonate it and align it with you know ice up on those those polar ice caps, and because they trapped the air. I mean, it's it's so fascinating that we're able to look back in our past and age date these things using that type of method. I, I, that's just that's so damn cool. I, and, you know, like there's so much that isn't seen or known about Antarctica, what lies beneath. Um, so it'd just be fascinating what, you know, any day now we could stumble upon something that was there, you know, that we've just been ignoring and it's not out of ignorance. It's just because we cannot see it. So maybe one day we drill in the right spot and we find like a whole village of, you know, people that were living there one day or, you know, something crazy. It'd be, it'd be amazing. Some, some kind of ancient megalithic structure. Right. Well, when we had Pangea, when everything was just one giant, you know, continent, 
when well, we if, were, yeah. there was no nation, you know, there, if we were just one giant hunk of war, like earth, um, yeah. it's, it's not, I don't know. It's not crazy to think that there could have been one unfortunate civilization or whoever the hell it was, was just hanging out on the wrong piece of, uh, earth or rock that got detached and went to the poles. Well, it's funny you should mm. say that because some so why people, not? Can there be a ship in there? No, well, some people think that Antarctica is actually the lost city of Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I've heard that one, yeah. Yeah, there was this historian, <clears throat> Professor Charles Hapgood, and he published this paper, and it actually had nothing to do with Antarctica, or I'm sorry, it had nothing to do with Atlantis, but he said that he thought that 12,000 years prior, Antarctica was actually free of ice, a lot closer to Africa than people were saying, but due to seismic activity, it moved to its current location. And so some people speculate that was Antarctica, or that was, <laughs> I cannot talk, that was Atlantis, and that there was a sudden shift in the magnetic poles, which caused this like flash freeze. And that entire civilization is lost beneath the permafrost. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's a fun theory. Yeah. Which, which is, well, that that's the crustal displacement right there. Yeah. Uh, makes you prof- think. Professor, Hap, Professor Hap, Hapgood was the, uh, the guy that actually um, first supposed the, uh, that theory. And it was actually based on um, some of his college students that actually uh, asked him to look into the the myth of uh, Atlantis and see if uh, there was any evidence for it. And so he, he actually it was a uh, um, was I think it was 1958 where he uh, published uh, Earth sh- Earth's shifting crust, and that's that's where he uh, he collaborated with a um, mathematician and engineer James H Campbell, and um, that yeah that's where they. Uh, Propose that that hypothesis right there, and so so for people that aren't familiar with uh, crustal crustal displacement, basically the way you could describe the theory as far as like how it works in in real life, if it is you know uh, a reality, would be uh, it's often described as like 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 think about an orange and think about like the skin around an orange. Now think about if that skin could move independent independently from the core of the orange, you know. Um, that's, that's basically crustal displacement. So there's, you know, potential evidence that, you know, would suppose, uh, Antarctica actually was in a different spot, uh, as you know, as far as like the, where the poles are, um, and it was much more farther North than, than it is right now. And, um, if the whole crust would shift all at once and move, Antarctica into let's just say you know the the most southern polar region where it's going to see the most amount of you know negative temperatures and, and extreme ex- extreme cold, then it, you know um, it would kind of uh, possibly explain why you find flash frozen you know not just like animals but like uh, mostly um, you know ferns and bushes and stuff like some plants. Uh, I mean, because think about it. Like, what would it really take to flash freeze something? You know what I mean? Like, f- to go from temperate to those temperatures in enough time to where something is flash frozen, that has to be quite the dramatic event. It really does. Oh, that's always I would, I fascinated me. They guess, find, like, right? woolly mammoths with, like, food in their mouths or... Or, like, a flower nearby that yeah. also got flash frozen with yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, it's so fascinating. 
Yeah, and then like I, I, I just uh, it's it, it's one of those ideas that I've actually like I've thought quite a bit. Just like you know when you're daydreaming about kind of this stuff, you know, and like it's like what the hell kind of situation would create those conditions? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just it's crazy to think about, you know. But uh, so so yeah, Hapgood um was you know asked about uh, uh Atlantis, and that actually led him to uh get into. Uh, you know, like why would uh something so dramatic happen to change like the like a planetary situation, whatever you want to call it? You know, like as far as like because he um he stumbled upon a previous theory that had been um supposed about like you know why the continents are in the current basically uh arrangement that they are in now. You know, and um he disagreed with the theory, but he it led him to create this one you know and um he actually uh says that he believed that um this kind this kind of thing happens about every 41,000 years and the last time he he thought it had happened was about 11,500 years ago which would line up pretty closely at least you know possibly exactly with the last ice age the, the end of the younger dryas era which, you know, we know for sure there was a whole lot of uh, traumatic events that happened to the Earth, on the Earth that at that time. Now, it, it's not necessarily a proven, like, what the events were, but it seems like there was great flooding, all you know, worldwide. Uh, but especially in North America, there's a lot of scars on the uh, continent that would suggest that that, that happened. Um, but, you know, it, it's a... Maybe a meteor, maybe a solar flare, maybe a combination of events, you know? I mean, it, it depends on, like, uh, what research you would, you know, believe in, whether it be, like, like for instance, Robert Schock or um, Randall Carlson, you know? I, I'm, I, I'm a big fan of those two guys, you know, but they also disagree with what the potential of, like, like how the event happened. Like, I think Randall Carlson thinks it was a meteor, and I think Robert Schock thought it was a solar flare, I think. Um I forget. Wait, I, I think it was Robert Shock. Am I? For, I might be mixing him up with uh, with Duval, uh, Robert Buval. No, that's that's correct. I remember Buval, on his website that he, uh, he uh, talks anyways, about the I, solar flare. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's evidence for that because well, you see, like even like our, so there's places. I, I mean, this is a little bit of an offshoot here, but um, there's places in Peru and in Egypt, as a matter of fact, also that actually show show a vitrification of the stone, which means like the stone was hit with such a a hot force, like a high temperature, that it actually literally melted the stone and or like made the stone uh, melt or explode. You know, so I mean. I don't know. It's it's a it's one of those things where it's like not necessarily proof of anything in particular, but it's quite the big flag, red flag there, like that would would possibly support you know the the theory of a a massive solar flare hitting the Earth at that period in time and you know having great effect and maybe just just I I have no idea how this would work because I'm not a I'm not an expert or <laughs> very well educated in geology and stuff, but. Like maybe that could have triggered like the the crustal displacement, but but yeah, like uh, like I said, um, Professor Hopgood uh, thought that it happened about every four to one thousand years, um, and uh, I mean, you'd have to read his paper and stuff to like like see the evidence. Like I said, I, some of this stuff goes over my head to be quite honest, <laughs> but some of it also seems to make sense, you know. And I yeah. think it's a very important um, theory to at least. 
uh, be aware of, you know, and, and entertain. You know what I mean? Doesn't it make you feel like an ant? We're just living on an elephant's ass, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we really don't. There's a lot. There's a lot about Earth's history, and especially geological history. That like, there's a lot we know. There's no doubt about that. But there's there's a hell of a lot we don't know. Also, you know, like as far as like how many big events happened and what kind of events these were. You know what I mean? Like worldwide catastrophes is what I'm talking about in particular. You know. But um. Uh. Oh, you know what? Before I forget, I I want to uh, mention. Um, the Puri Reese map. And I know we've mentioned this map before uh, on this channel, but this actually kind of ties into crustal displacement. So uh, um, it's been theorized that uh, basically one of the uh, borders one, uh, of a continent that it shows on this map. Um, and by the way, uh, this map was supposed to have been compiled around 1513 or so. Um, just, just to, you know, give you a little bit of perspective here. So it's, it's a, it's an old map, you know, and it was also compiled upon older, uh, references, which actually are listed on the map itself as well. Now the whole map isn't, uh, present. It's only like, like, uh, I, I forget what percentage of the, the whole map is su supposed to be preserved, but part of the coastline that is supposed to have been showed on this map is supposed to be Antarctica. I'm, I keep on using that word again. You know, but anyways, uh, it depicts the coastline without ice on it. And it also shows like river, rivers and, and uh, tributaries and stuff like that, you know, deltas, whatever the right term is. Um, and you can still find, you know, the indentations on the continent to this day. The coastline seems to be pretty accurate. And it's actually been studied by uh, – um, geologists from like the, the, ah, oh, damn it. It was actually, it, it was an actual military, uh, set of scientists or some shit. I'm sorry. I'm at this point right now, I'm talking out of my ass, but uh, damn, I forget the damn, uh, group of people, but they were very, uh, legit. The little rascals. <laughs> well, I, I didn't put this part in my, in my notes, in my notes, but, uh, the little rascals. <laughs> No, but so, uh, yeah, so uh, the pure Reese map is very important though, like I said, because it's, yeah, like I said, you know, super legit, bro. It's no big deal. <laughs> it's no problem. You know, you need to believe this shit. The expeditionists. <laughs> Adventurous. <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, like, yeah, no, the pure Reese map is one of those, like, we could probably do a whole episode just on that. You know, that there's places like uh, High Brazil, which is off of the, uh, like, it's like Southwest off the coast of like, uh, like, like uh, Britain. And it's a, a landmass that is underwater right now, but during like uh, the last ice age or any period where um, water is condensed into uh, the ice caps, you know, north and south, uh, that piece of land would, would be above water and also, you know, habitable, you know. So it's a, yeah, it's a landmass uh, over there in the, in the North Atlantic called High Brazil. And it definitely at one point was above water and habitable. So if there were people in that area, it'd be reasonable to assume that they, you know, they were there, you know, and oh, that, that's actually been proven to be a reality because it, you know, I mean, those, oce those oceans have been mapped, you know, so, but yeah, that's a uh, pretty much the majority of what I want to talk about. Oh, uh, by the way, did you guys ever look into the uh, the Antarctica Treaty? No, I mean a no. little bit, but I not a lot. That was one of those things that it was another one of those topics where uh, I, I know it's like a it led to a whole lot of speculation, but there wasn't really a whole lot of solid stuff to. I mean, so the idea basically is that you know the treaty prohibits 
a lot of people from going over certain areas in Antarctica and you know, the, the idea of being yeah. there's some sort of secret something or other there, maybe an entrance to the hollow earth or maybe a secret military base. But, um, the, from what I could find, the no fly zones are fairly limited, but I don't know. It's kind of hard to get that information too, though. Yes. Yeah, that, that's pretty much the same that I, I came up with. Yeah. Not I, a whole I, lot. I've to heard it. people like, you know, talk, yeah, I've heard people talk about like like uh, quote unquote conspiracy theories, you know, about how like a uh, you know damn near every uh, nation in the world is signed up to this treaty, uh, you know, and, and that's the only treaty in existence really where you have that much cooperation. You know what I mean? Which you know, to be quite honest, I don't know if it really surprises me that much that you'd have a bunch of countries agreeing to kind of just like leave, just like leave Antarctica alone and not like corrupt it. I guess you could say. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. But really is, it, is it a, what was the, what would be a tactical advantage though in military reasons? Well, resources for first and foremost, depending on what's really down there. There's the UFOs that are hidden yeah. in the caves under yeah. the ground. That, there you go. There's they're, a tactical advantage. They're That's buried true. underneath the ice. And as the ice thaws, we're yeah. going to start to see more evidence. In fact, some people say on Google Earth, you can see disc shaped objects. That are in fact UFOs. So that's oh, that's one that theory too, that's out there. And how Google's removed them. Yeah, and Google's sense or like basically blurred out those spots. Yeah, yeah. I I'm not sure. Yeah, that would be cool. Let's hope. Yeah, I've I've seen some of that stuff. I hope it recovers a body. Like the Google Earth stuff, people do find some interesting looking shapes, but it's hard to tell if it's just like a rock formation or if, you know, because Google Earth does not have the best resolution. So sometimes you get something that's kind of like the face on Mars, where it definitely looks like a face until you look at it with a high res photo, and yeah. then you're like, "Oh, that's just a mountain," you know. I actually believe in the face on Mars. <laughs> hey, it, well, see, I mean, you got to <laughs> think about it. Like, like how much erosion and what type of erosion, you know, would be present there, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, it, just think about what that structure could be originally. Like, right. what was it when it was uh, not eroded? I don't know. Well, and that's, that's a whole even, other topic is that the face know. on Mars could actually <laughs> be something, even though it doesn't look like it is, but it, it doesn't look as well, obviously like a face as it did in the original low res photos, right? When you look at the high yeah. res photos, it looks like it could be something that eroded, but it doesn't look like it's still like a face carved into the land, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, if, if, if it's like an actual structure that was made, I think it's probably more likely that it's a, you know, maybe like a, a pyramidal type structure originally that is heavily eroded, like extremely and mm -hmm. extremely ancient perhaps, you know? Yeah. But, I mean, shit, there's so many damn conspiracy theories about Mars and. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all we had on Antarctica for this week. There's, I mean, we've, like I say this a lot, but I think we've barely scratched the surface. There's just so many, various rabbit holes you could go down and there's a lot that we haven't really talked on but i think we covered most of the yeah. major ideas surrounding the continent did you have anything else agent ether i just wanted to give a shout out to the flat earthers who believe that the north pole is the center of the world and the south pole surrounds the earth so antarctica has these thick walls that are 30 to 60 meters high and they stop everything from falling over the edge and it's like this conspiracy of world governments to make sure people don't find out and that's why it's a no-fly zone hmm. shout out to eddie bravo i guess <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, while we're doing shout outs, actually, I just like to give a shout out to Beowulf, who we uh, mentioned was, a, you know, in the audience. I don't see him this week, but last week, last week, he generously uh, got me a one year subscription to Discord Nitro. So huge thanks, hey. Beowulf, for gifting me that. That's very awesome. Nice, dude. And I used my server boost to boost our server, and we now have maybe some more images and gifts and stuff. I'm not really sure how that works. I still have to look up. It's emojis. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure exactly what Discord stuff. Nitro is, but it sounds cool. I mean, I'm, I don't if know. If you click on my banner, like on the left, if you click on my name, you'll you'll see like an animated banner. You can do that stuff, and it's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Okay, yeah, sounds cool. All right, well. That about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep it strange.